Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two quan. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate problem. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So first up, we've got Robert, crypto connoisseur and czar of Superstate. Then we've got Tarun, the Giga Brain, and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. And today, we've got a repeat guest, Evgeny, the market's maven at Wintermute Trading. And then you've got myself, I'm Asib, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. Evgeny, it's good to have you back, sir. Uh, we were just chatting backstage about the fact that if you're in the market-making world, in the token trading world, as you guys are at, at Wintermute, um, what's notable right now is that it is one of the slowest times ever in the last, basically like the last three to four years of crypto. How, how, how is that at, you know, on, on the side of a trading firm? Because we see it from the venture side. What is it like on the trading side? Pretty similar. I guess it's like 2019, basically, more or less. We haven't seen those volumes since like early 2020 in general. It's very slow, especially in spot. It's a bit more busy in derivatives, but just primarily people are gambling a bit more. But yeah, it's ultimately pretty, pretty boring. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's what kind of drives all this like very short attention span for people involved in crypto, all this like new scams once a week that pop up. Yeah, it's all... Like people are just bored and trying to come up with stuff to do, which I you know there cover. There were news articles this week about a token that is a meme coin called Harry Potter Sonic uh, Obama. Son I forget <laughs> the Obama ordering. Sonic Inu ten. ten, yeah, ten, ten. That's right. Can't the ten the is ten doing is a lot of work there. Can't remember. Forget the ten. Uh, I was just reading about this. Apparently, it is a meme coin inspired by a backpack that was found, like a, a sort of bootlegged backpack that was using a lot of unlicensed images from different American icons. So like Obama and Harry Potter and all this other stuff Sonic together. Sonic is the biggest backpack. character, yeah. And Sonic. The Sonic, which is weirdly kind of inverted colors, kind of trippy Sonic. And this has just developed this cult following. And the 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 ticker for the token is actually Bitcoin. <laughs> so it is B-I-T-C-O-I-N is the ticker for this coin. And right now it's like $150 million market cap. I guess the people the people are bored. So, Evgeny, when you're at a trading firm and it's boring, do you guys just like start trading meme coins? Like, what do you what do you do when there's not that much to do? Mm, it's mostly building stuff that we didn't have time to build during the, uh, the bull market. Pretty much, like it's kind of, it's, it's very similar to how it works in TradFi. To be honest, it's like you have slow days and well, slow periods, bull markets, bear markets, like the same same kind of cycles. They just like longer usually. And during the slow markets, like I don't know, in 2009, you would just build stuff. You work on better algos, you work on better software, better hardware, better everything. 
What's the most mm. interesting thing that you've built during the slow patch? Uh, I would say our DeFi stack improved considerably. I think that's something. I think that's the coolest thing we built so far. And yeah, I think that's that's pro- probably the main thing. And then on more on the like in general, like we've been much more active on OTC side of things as well. So we built, but it's not really building algos. It's more like building stuff in the background on the back office side, on legal side, compliance side, just being ready. So without leaking too much alpha, how do you interact with DeFi as an organization like yours? I mean, we've been trading on DeFi since 2019. So it's all the usual stuff. Like we've been supporting DYDX since the onset and all its uh, incarnations. And we're going to be there for the V4. Uh, we've been arbing AMMs pretty much since DeFi summer. We are very bullish on uh, RFQ platforms in general. So we've been providing liquidity there as well. So it's, yeah, whatever we can be, we can apply ourselves. And especially the Ethereum stack, it's it's really interesting, like post-merge with also like, yeah, basically building the whole vertical effectively, not just Arbin, but also block building and like everything pretty much. It's It became hmm. quite complex. Like you, you have to do much more advanced things compared to like two, three years ago. Interesting. So actually um, this, this reminds me that Back last year, you were talking about building your DeFi stack. Last year, there were a couple of very, very high-profile snafus that took place at Wintermute about your guys' DeFi infrastructure and key management. And I remember on the show, Tarun talked a lot of shit toward Wintermute. And uh, I feel like that, yeah, I remember, I'm sure you remember that as well. And I, I feel like uh, now that we have you on the show, it feels like a good time to, to address the underlying tension that, that might be sitting there between you and Tarun. Uh, anything that you want to say on Tarun now that you're here? On Tarun, yeah, no, like I. No, look, it's it's more <laughs> more like well, let's put it like this. I don't know. Uh, during its history, Wintermute raised I don't know twenty eight, twenty nine million overall in external funding ever. They're currently sitting at about four hundred fifty plus million of equity. So we've been having a pretty impressive growth overall over the last three years. Um, we made a lot of mistakes. We generally like, well, we generally own those mistakes. We are much more public about those mistakes in general. We very much like to learn from it. From them, we build things better. So like a GFI stack and whatever not. And great thing about running a prop shop as opposite to fund is you basically yeah, you own your mistakes in a very personal way, like nobody else suffers but you, unless you go bankrupt, which we didn't. Um, ultimately, hacks act, uh, like all this, well, basically the DeFi snafus, whatever you call it, sucked. FTX sucked, but ultimately we owned it, we learned from it, we built from it. And ultimately, like only people who paid from it were Wintermere shareholders who are still doing quite well despite everything. So that's also kind of fine. And yeah, with regards to that particular episode, some people chose to be nice about it. Some people chose to be dicks about it. And I made a notice (laughs) about the letter part and let's leave it at that. Very classy response. Tarun, uh, what's your response here? I think I was more angry last year. Also, just like there were a lot of, I think especially around the time of FTX, we saw a lot more kind of like, let's say bad 
things that happen. So, you know, I, uh, I, I get that it's hard to, to do these things. At the same time, I do still stand by my claim that culturally trading firms are usually very bad at OPSEC and security. And that's why on the block building side, if you look at the top block builders and what Ogany was talking about, um, a lot of them came from being formal verification people and actually not trading. Like if you look at the top two block builders. So I, I would say that it's so we are we are one of the top two block builders. <laughs> I mean it depends how you measure them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would say your your main competitor, however, is is much more uh, comes from a different background, let's put it that way. I, I still kind of think that ends up being true. And I think it's good that hey, look, if an institution learns to fix their mistakes, especially if they're forced to, then that's always a good thing. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say, Hasib. You're just like looking <laughs> There's nothing at in particular I wanted you're, you to you're, say. You're giving, you're giving me this like menacing look like I'm waiting. Menacing? I'm not I'm not menacing. I just thought, hey, you know, we had some bad blood. We should air it out before we got on with the show. This is um, the under the bridge episode. The water is flowing. Yeah, I, that's right, that's right. This is I just feel like I'm, you're you're also forgetting the time scale that that when that happened. Like I feel like after that, it was, so it was much stuff like happened that nine was months like, ago. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, I mean that was just like the beginning of the you know parade of horribles that took place in crypto. So I feel like I took out maybe more anger because it was one of the earlier mishaps. Then now I'm where I'm kind of like, all right, well, it is what it is. No, that's fair. And, and look, in retrospect, the the highest honor you can pay a trading firm is that they survived, because of course a lot of trading firms did not, especially ones that were as far down the risk curve as a Wintermute. You know, it's, it's, it's easy when you're, you know, on centralized exchanges, just doing like very safe stuff, but when you're taking a lot of risk, yeah, you're going to mess up sometimes. And, and I think this is the exact point that I made when we were talking about this, the, the, the winter mute hacks that took place last year, uh, is that I have the utmost respect for firms that are internalizing the cost of that risk, right? Like when, when winter mute got hacked, nobody else paid that price other than winter mute. And that, that, that means that, you know, the markets are working and that there is no, there, there were a lot of situations last year where people lost other people's money and FTX being the, the, the big gigantic principal example of that. But uh, anytime that somebody loses their own money and they learn from it and they rebuild and build back better, I'm, I'm a fan. I think that's, that's markets doing what they're supposed to do. So anyway, I, I, I am sorry if, uh, for, for, for causing said beef, I guess it was a different era, you know, at, at that time it was just like <laughs> the security. Tarun is softened. Tarun is soft. He's got, he's gotten older. He's gotten gentler, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, Gary was sending private keys for FTX in Gmail. Like, all right. If you're, if, if we're comparing Google sheets, Google, she- you know, like it's like after, after all the other security stuff, I, at this point I, I view this as a, a <laughs> There were just too many things after that, and now my head hurts just remembering how many of those things happened. So, anyway, right. I, I I will give a public apology for 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 hopefully being not being too much of a dick at that time. Uh, That's very pro- very very in heartwarming. Hindsight, not not warranted. Feels very hard. I, I'm I'm so tickled by this. I feel like it's, it's a product both of you. Uh, kind of getting older and cuddlier over time, but also to the fact that everything else, everything else in the bear market was so much more embarrassing than what took place at yeah, Winterbute. This so it's like, also partially lowering standards. Yeah, I, I think it's just like also being able to survive all the venues disappearing on you and like dealing with like very, I got a lot of respect for that. 
Because like, think about how many times you had to move all your assets off an exchange in the last one year. Wait, let me ask a question. How many exchanges was Wintermute on that went under with Wintermute assets? Let's not presume. Let's ask. No, just one, really. I mean, that's like, no, there were not that many exchanges that went under. I mean, okay, like if you count Liquid as part of FTX, like we didn't really have anything on Liquid anyway, but okay, like that's like more than one. But like my biggest challenge with current environment is like, I think there are a lot of zombies still out there, like on exchange side, and we don't trade on a lot of them because we actually think that a lot of them are zombies. Can you yeah, elaborate which exchanges, much. which exchanges do you suspect of being zombies? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that, that, that's, that's kind of wait, wait, the main Which exchanges of... do you not trade on? We don't need any. Which, yeah, which large exchanges, on. which, which exchanges are the top 10 do you not trade on? No comment on whether or not they're zombies. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's overlapping circles pretty much. <laughs> like us suspecting them being zombies and not trading on them. Yeah. That's I mean, look, after circles. what happened with FTX last year, I do feel like it's a bit of a public service to, you know, you can say, look, I don't know. I'm not confident, you know, caveat tour. We don't have all the information, but here's where we're not trading. The hardest bit is you just like, I mean, I can say it and then I'm just make a lot of enemies for no good reason. And that's, that's basically the unfortunate truth of it that we cannot name things that like, they're just like too big to name things, unfortunately. Mm. When I can name things, like when I can name bad actors, I do it pretty much always. Uh, but sometimes it's, you just don't know, okay, there is an exchange and it belongs to a guy and he's a shady guy, but I don't know, maybe he'll still be around in five years time, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Okay, I see. There's one exchange in particular <laughs> that belongs few. to a guy who may be around in five years. Okay, I see. I think well, I might know the exchange I, you're referring to. I, I mean, I, I don't just mean like pulling off money around, say, FTX. I, I also mean like every time there's like a scare and then there's a, a rush of liquidity all off this exchange because of a rumor. And you as a market maker, you, you have to stop quoting. You have to like add all this extra logic for like pull from X when Y liquidity goes on. You know, I feel like it actually makes all your like exit trade logic a lot more annoying. I mean, Over. yes, but you you also kind of built for it. Like we had something like four or five fire drills, well, fire drills with Binance, for example, over the last six months. And yeah, we just learned to do it, to clean it up in a matter of hours, basically. So Binance yeah. is one that you do trade on. Okay, so. Yeah, I mean, you cannot, like as a trading, as a trading firm, you cannot not trade on Binance and you might as well just close shop. Like it's it's pointless. That's, that's where most of the liquidity is currently. Mm. especially at a time when liquidity is so scarce in general. I, I believe, if I remember correctly, there was also an article about you making an exchange. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It's basically us mentioning that it would be an interesting idea to explore. So it's not like the same as making, uh, which, I still, I still, which I still think would be... Really it was like the front cover... It was a front cover of a magazine. This was not like, oh, like the block wrote a tiny article. So I don't, you know. I, let's, wish, let's... I wish it was a front cover. No, no, it was just like online cover or something. It was a big, yeah. it was a big article. <laughs> I don't know. No, that, that's what they chose to highlight out of all of it. Um, I still think it's a really good time to build an exchange, to be honest. And like, Are you building I'm, an exchange? Not at the moment, simply because it's just, it takes a lot of focus. And I have a lot of other things to focus on primarily in the core business of Intermute. It's just, I cannot afford to lose this focus at the moment. Maybe in two, three months time, maybe, but like currently I just, I just don't have mental capacity and 
frankly, like the team, like you need you need to do like building exchanges is such a massive undertaking that yeah, I just cannot like take it lightly if if you ever do it. Hypothetically, if you were to build an exchange, what would be different about it versus existing incumbent exchanges? So I think like what would be I think this exchange, if you were to build an exchange, it would be much more similar to CME than to Binance or Coinbase. Like I think it would be focused much more on the matching engine and basically like the central clearing part, basically stripping away all like KYC ML for retail people, stripping away managing leverage, stripping away like all the horrible things about trying to own centralized exchange in crypto uh, and just making it much more CME-like and basically focusing on one hand Kind of like what does BF try to do with FTX, like making this central clearing run a very efficient cross-margining kind of like engine. And on the other hand, kind of like improving on CME side, it would be basically running on a stable coins instead of fiat so that you can do settlement cycles faster. And if you can do settlement cycles faster, you effectively can extend more leverage to the clearing members as a result. Have you considered hiring... 20 kids, feeding them a bunch of speed and sending them to an island. Letting they could probably build something. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd probably build something with that. No, no not, not really. in the cards. No. Okay. No, right. that's, that's a, like we like one big change for us over the last year or so. We we started we started like slowly incubating those products inside Ventermute. Like we did Bebop, which was just our play on RFQ. Uh like well, you, you had Lawrence uh, the other day uh, who is building Wildcat. So we we started like dabbing into building products and like slowly moving into becoming a product company. And basically what I learned is it's a very different gig, like building mm-hmm. a trading companies, especially if you just train the centralized exchanges, it's kind of straightforward. Like all you need is a former traders. And then like, as it becomes more complex, you like gives them more support with back office operations and everything else. And like I have better developers and everything that that's great. But Ultimately, yeah, product is very different because as a train company, you don't have customers. Like it's very easy. Right. You just need to build big algos or smart algos. As a product company, you actually need to think about a lot more things. And that's what I'm kind of like learning for myself. And exchange is like ultimate ultimate boss to conquer because there is just so much to be built. Well, so speaking of product companies, let's get into the news of the week. So Coinbase has launched, of course, this product that's getting all this attention now, which is Base, their L2. Now, Base, uh, I think last week we talked about how Base had a developer mode that was initially getting some traction, getting some meme coins and rug pulls and all sorts of crypto chicanery. Um, But finally, this week, I believe as of uh, August 9th, Base finally launched their mainnet, basically meaning that now there's a nice little interface and you can you know jump across the bridge and start playing around on top of Base. Uh, A bunch of protocols have been deployed there. So Compound, Uniswap, of a, you know, a lot of the big protocols are now uh, living on base. The base numbers actually look pretty strong. So the TVL on base is about 230 million uh, as of right now, which makes it the number five L2 by TVL behind DYDX and then DYDX behind uh, ZK Sync. Their daily active users seem to be, or daily active addresses, I should say, seem to be around 100K. Uh, they were growing quite a bit, and now it seems like they've mostly stabilized. Although, you know, who knows, there obviously could be a surge of activity. Um, but as of right now, it doesn't seem like it's going vertical from there. Uh, the transactions per second is around seven. Uh, 
Now that's not like peak throughput. That's like the sustained throughput that it has over the course of the day, which is, again, it's pretty high. Um, if there was a while, actually, I think yesterday it was actually higher than both Arbitrum 1 and Optimism mainnet. Um, but now it's kind of gotten back in line with the two of them. So it looks like the activity is pretty strong on base. It's not crazy. It's not quite Binance Smart Chain levels, but it's it's doing quite well. Uh, it seems a lot of the activity on top of base is meme coins, lots of farming, lots of kind of degenerate excitement. Uh, that seems to be the name of the day. I don't know what you guys have been seeing on your feeds or if you guys have been playing around in some of the applications on top of base, but what's your guys' take on what's happening in this new ecosystem? Well, I will preface by saying that I have not used base yet. I'm embarrassed to say I've created zero transactions on base or bridged assets or done anything. Um, so I can only look from the outside. But to me, I think it's like pretty bullish in that a couple hundred million dollars, it takes a lot of L2s a long time to get any traction at all. And I think people are sort of like preemptively, you know, migrating to base on the expectation that Coinbase will make it successful and attract developers and attract, you know, a lot of like new applications and use cases and integration with Coinbase, the exchange in like novel ways that I don't think have been, you know, thought through yet. And so like, I, I think this is demonstrating that the brand that Coinbase has built alone is like selling the dream for a lot of users. And if this was like a product of, you know, a random developer team, I don't think you would see any similar activity or usage. Tarun, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of a similar type of thing. I think it has a lot more integrations. I, I, did, I only sent one or two transactions, so I can only say that that much. It, 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 the wallet experience is a lot better, at least you know if you're using Coinbase Wallet, for instance. I think the interesting thing has actually been the kind of cognoscenti pushback against Base in that, mm. like, if you if you've are trolling around Twitter, you'll see a lot of people complaining about the lack of fraud proofs. And you can see all the other L2s kind of like really collaborating on their dunking uh, of this. Uh, and Wait, so what? Just, Wait, that's true for every OP stack. None of the OP stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think Base okay. took, took a lot of TVL from, from other L2s. So they're, oh, I see. this is a response to that. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's a, it's very interesting to watch the social layer in crypto like flip like that because I feel like in in normal trading there's not usually that much benefit to kind of like having these like very public collusive events but uh, you know like everyone seemed to every every other L two seems to be on board of the like no fault proofs op stack thing and you can you can kind of see some of the wars going on there so I think that's kind of interesting it's like it will be interesting if if base actually really pushes everyone to finally finish their implementations. But I think like in general, probably pretty good that people are going to get used to L2 experience. And, um, you know, a lot of people were tagging me on Twitter from something I said on the podcast a long time ago when base was first announced, which was me reading someone else's tweet. So someone, people think I said this, but which is that base is BSC for white people. Uh, I, I think it's, it is definitively seems to be true now at this point. Well, so the the question, Taruna, is we've kind of have an idea of what base is. Obviously, it could, it could yeah. continue to grow if something goes really viral. Has this overperformed or underperformed your expectations? One way I think it did overperform is that like most L2s right now have 
either focused on applications that are like games run as their own L2 or new DeFi protocols that are more expensive or deploy existing protocol, right? Like by and large, that's like the majority of applications. But the interesting thing with Base is that it, because it kind of had this huge initial growth spurt, it was actually like a social app that kind of became very popular. And the social app, I think this is sort of the first time we've seen something like that in the bear market, right? Like in the bull market, you kind of saw things like this happen. So there is clearly a thing where developers feel much more incentivized to build certain types of app applications on base, as far as I can tell, versus, say, other chains that maybe you know have different trade-offs or different types of users, like the type of user who would go on base tends to have XYZ characteristic. Now... It's obviously the early days of this type of stuff, but that that's where it, it deviated from my expectation. I thought it would just be like like another L2, maybe have more stable coins on it because people are able to like move from Coinbase products to it more easily. Uh, but the fact that developers seem to have like are trying weirder experiments than they are on other L2s, and, and this is not to say that people aren't on other L2s. I think it's just that those experiments just aren't live or haven't gotten as much mm-hmm. traction. Like this. That that was sort of the most surprising thing to me. Evgeny, what what struck you so far about the base rollout? Mm, I mean, in general, like I'm, I think it's a good sign that we have more L2s in the mix. I would be very cautious about the user numbers. Like it's it's very clearly not hundred thousand users. Like I don't think it's even ten percent of that. Like it's, I mean, it's like to me it was one of the it's one of the most like infuriating thing about DeFi is because is that nobody actually bothers to try to estimate what's the number of users we have. Like everyone knows BSC has the most of it and then Polygon is like second, but like how many it is actually, nobody cares. Like everyone counts like wallets or transactions, like all this like vanity stats, but nobody actually tries to estimate how many actual users do trade there. Uh, benefit of Coinbase is they, like I would be very curious to see the numbers, like how many Coinbase wallet users trade on base because that's mm-hmm. actually a pretty good metric and that's actually what can position it to, to success ultimately. Um, I'm also very curious how Coinbase is going to walk this line between, on one hand, maintaining this, well, either facade or like actual desire to keep it very decentralized and at the same time to avoid stuff like Bolt happening basically again and again because we'll see more scams inevitably and like whether they're going to be actively policing it and trying to prevent it or they're just going to like continue with Wild West. Yeah, quite curious how they're going to take it. Yeah, I mean, this is a point that I made uh, when we talked originally about the announcement of Base before it was ever live, which is that in the early days of Binance Smart Chain, Binance basically had total control over the bridge that moved in and out of Binance Smart Chain. And as a result, Binance sort of played policeman for the chain, is that when there would be hacks or there would be kind of other rug pulls untoward activity, uh, Binance would basically step in and kind of feel like they were responsible for uh, making sure none of the kids bonked their heads against each other or you know, got, it, got injured. Now, Coinbase hasn't shown yet the willingness to go in and, and start doing that, basically policing bad actors or making sure that like, okay, we're going to like freeze funds or prevent people from going over the bridge. But the thing is, you know, to Tarun's point that all these, uh, you know, other L2s are complaining about, which is, which is strictly true, if there are no fraud proofs, uh, then it is strictly within the power of the, the sequencer. It's strictly within the control of the sequencer to be able to decide 
to censor transactions, to rewrite state, to basically do whatever they want, to, to right wrongs and to dry tears. And now I don't think Coinbase wants to do it, and I think they will fight tooth and nail to prevent them from having the responsibility to do it. But you you could evince an argument that basically, you know, this is like a money services business because they ultimately have control over what goes in and out. And if they chose to, they could unilaterally change it. Well, I mean, a sequencer in this way is very similar to, and we haven't used as a society this phrase in like five years, but like proof of authority chains. Like this was like a concept like six years ago where it was like, oh no, like we don't have like, you know, a whole set of validators or miners or whatever. We have like, you know, one key or entity that approves or controls the transaction finalization process. And like a sequencer before it's fully decentralized is that it is proof of authority. And it's like, what I find just so amusing about, you know, most L2s is, you know, six years ago, if you were like, oh, that chain's proof of authority, like the crypto public would be like revolted, you know, (laughs) it'd be like, you know, horrifying. And now it's like, oh, that's cool. Like it's an L2, like, you know, of course, like, you know, you just have like one company who runs the sequencer, like that's the way it works. And like, now it's an accepted part of (laughs) expectations. Maybe Binance is the one that like, you know, sort of started to do away with the, like a chain has to be decentralized. You know. Yeah, I think L2 has become less of a description of a security model than a vibe. And I feel like that's yeah, kind of what base is, is like embracing L2 as a vibe rather than as like any actually explicit way of keeping your funds safe. So, I mean, that being said, I think it's obviously very unlikely Coinbase is going to do any of those things. And they've shown the willingness to, to kind of be a lot more aggressive than they used to be in previous years about embracing crypto native values. So I'm not accusing them of actually doing this, but, um, you know, I can, I mean, we've seen so many ridiculous lawsuits that I can imagine one taking the shape at some point in the near future, which may end up putting pressure on a Coinbase if there are no fraud proofs to basically say like, you know, Hey, this was under your watch. You guys are making money from this. Apparently they've made, what was it? Something like $7 million so far from the sequencer, something like that. Am I, am I making that number up? I'm just making that number up. It might be totally If wrong. true, that's a pretty good number so far. <laughs> Can someone fact check that? Yeah, I mean, one other thing about this that's interesting is, yeah, like these exchange POA chains seem fine. And one benefit that I think people get from these kind of exchange POA chains, let's put, you know, if we call them that, is that they basically... People are always complaining about proofs of reserves, like how much in assets the centralized exchange actually have. And there's not really a good way for them to prove it to you, right? They could have an OTC loan that's not on their books, but it looks like they have a ton of collateral, but they, that collateral is actually really being, can be called via a legal agreement, for instance. So proof of reserves is already this kind of like a little bit of a smoke and mirrors type of thing. But the assets on the POA chain are the reserves you can see. Right. And so like BNB being the BNB that's on the chain, you actually believe is like truly there's that much versus they're not being. And I think one way of viewing these POA chains from centralized exchanges, so only from centralized exchanges, is as a programmable sort of proof of reserves. Like they, they have there's some subset of reserves that you can really know what's happening publicly and can validate yourself. You might not be able to change the state of, but you can validate the data is correct. 
and you have confidence in those reserves relative to you know the exchanges balances themselves. Uh, this was a concept actually from a long time ago. Uh, Patrick McCory, who's I think at the Arbitrum Foundation, a long time ago, kind of in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, I forget, had this description of POA chains by exchanges, and I think. In some ways, that's that's why people are fine putting their liquidity there. They're they're treating it as an extension of the this thing they already kind of trust, which is different than say like another OP stack chain, right? Like another OP stack chain is not really an extension of like something you already have confidence fund wise. In. But to that point, I, there is there's a, the question to me is actually more not the the rug pulls because I don't think Binance really gave a shit about most of the rug pulls. If we're being honest. They cared a lot more about the bridge hacks, right? Like the bridge hacks were the really big deals. And like some of them were extremely sophisticated. Like the one that found the the Merkle tree defect, that was an insanely mm. sophisticated bug. And like, but but Binance sort of like worked with a bunch of DeFi protocols to kind of patch it up. So the reason I'm bringing all this up is just to kind of point out that I think there's always, there's going to be some crossing line and it needs to be like, the hack or lost funds have to either be big enough or aggregated in a big enough pool or bridged in some way for them to actually take action if they're going to be like Binance. Now, of course, Coinbase is a public company. Binance is anything but. So who knows what the differences in treatment will be, where that line is. So just quick uh, closing loop on that fact check. So base right now, their annualized fees are about $58 million dollars. Uh, now, I don't actually know what the take rate is for Coinbase on those fees. So that's like the fees paid on the chain, I presume. But just for a sense of scale, right now, they're making about half the fees of BSC, which is which is roughly almost as much as Bitcoin. Bitcoin and BSC may, uh, charge, have about the same in, in, in daily fees. So pretty significant volumes. Now, of course, a yeah. lot of this is because, you know, there's a bit of a frenzy going on right now, but uh, it's very impressive numbers. Some of those fees go to the OP holders also. So, is that already happening? No, 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 no. It's it's post hoc revenue share. Okay, but, that's but, what I thought. But yeah. there is there is some. So so I would say that yeah, there's a bunch of portions of those fees you'll, you'll probably have to discount. So what is that portion? Did I read at some point it was ten percent? Is it not ten? Yeah, I, I forget exactly because initially they wrote a percentage and then they edited the article. That's right. They removed the percentage. They removed the percentage. They removed the percentage. So I, I and I haven't followed it since then. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, we gotta that, get that, we gotta get Jesse from go base on the, a subsequent show. Yeah. Does it go to foundation or like how is it distributed? If you're listening to this episode and you have the answer, please tweet at all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we, I think need, we're gonna, we really we're, need like a fact checker on the show. I think we're gonna have Jesse from base on soon, so we can ask him to to give us the the details. Great. And then he can, he can, he can neither confirm nor deny any of the things we ask him. It'll be great. Cool. Okay. Well, so Tarun, you were talking about the social activity that's happening on base. A lot of this has been concentrated into one particular application called friends.tech. So friends.tech, it's become kind of a social phenomenon. Here's basically how it works. So uh, you go to the, you go to the app friends.tech. Uh, it, it forces you to install it as a uh, kind of as on your mobile phone as an application directly, like a shortcut. Um, and once you install it, then you can buy meme coins of your friends. So if you remember the the app uh, BitClout, you know the BitClout 
protocol ended up rebranding as DSO. But BitCloud was this old application that was kind of uh, uh, on its own blockchain that that did this. Um, so there's kind of a recreation of it, but with some extra social mechanics. You, if you own someone's token, you can chat with them. Like with BitCloud, you know, the people who are your trading, they get a cut of the transactions. So basically, in this case, on Friends.Tech, you get a cut of secondary market transaction fees, kind of like a royalty stream, uh, more or less, if people are willing to trade your token. So this app has gotten a lot of social media engagement. So crypto Twitter seems to love friends.tech. Uh, it's getting a lot of love. Uh, I was looking at some of the stats. It was going pretty nuts over the weekend, uh, but it started to trend down a little bit in engagement. So basically on August 12th, it hit the height of something like 10,000 transactions per day. Now it's down today, something like 600. Actually, this might not be daily. I'm, I might be reading this wrong. Um, sorry, this is an hour. This is hourly. So whatever, do the math. And uh, if you look at the number of uniques, they have been also leveling out. So the buyers and sellers are stabilizing quite a bit, uh, as well as the volumes. So it, it seems like the numbers are trending down, although there's still a decent amount of engagement in Friends.Tech. Did any of you guys play around with it or see what's happening there? That was one of my two transactions, <laughs> but I didn't That was buy zero of my zero transactions. <laughs> Who did you buy? Who did you buy? Tarun, who did you buy? Myself. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That sounds like insider trading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Possibly also masturbation of some kind. No, no, no. no. Yeah, uh, I, it's like financial I, I, masturbation. I just, I, just I, I didn't buy anyone else. I just initialized yeah. my account. You were sort of self-pleasuring through your, your your friendship with yourself. Yeah. I don't really like these social apps. I just wanted to see what it was like more for the onboarding experience. Because, you know, right now, you know, probably in the venture world or the last five years plus, there's a ton of you know, venture fund L's that are people making wallets for mobile wallets and crypto, right? Like a lot of them just never took off, never got users, dot, 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 right? And the premise of a wallet is it's like, you can use every application in one thing, right? Like you can do NFT trading, DeFi, bridging, whatever you want, right? But the idea of having this like app specific mobile app, you know, like for this one application, which has a wallet in it, but that's like not the most important part. I think that's kind of an interesting modality. Like I know a bunch of people during the bull market were trying this, but I didn't, don't remember any that got as much sort of virality, at least you know, whatever little virality this has had by crypto standards virality, not by like you know, normal world virality. And I'm kind of more curious if like the L2, the kind of clunkiness of like the modular kind of UX of like, I have to have assets on the base chain, then I have to bridge assets to the L2, and I have to like manage those transactions. If these like app specific chains that handle that, like kind of hide that from the user for a particular application and deal with that, if that will be a new UX modality we see people use. So to me, that was the most interesting thing about it. It wasn't the actual application itself. It was like, this, this yeah. UX change, like, uh, but again, like, when, I mean, obviously the UX I think on Friends of Tech was very good, but it did really copy a lot of the ideas from from Deso or from oh Bitcoin. yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. For did sure. the exact no, no, no. same for, thing for sure. No, no, I, I agree. And the interesting thing is like the Cognoscenti loved this app, but the Cognoscenti That's hated right. they hated Deso. They hated Bitcoin. and so right. it's it's kind of it's kind of a interest. But but you know that that type of political stuff aside, I I, I do think this app specific or you know wallet part like may actually i'm kind of curious if we see a lot more experiments of this form right like i think for for gaming people have like sort of thought about doing this but no one has actually gotten a ton of users 
using these app-specific wallets. And maybe that's actually like a way better onboarding experience for like non-trading use cases of crypto. Well, I, I personally think that all UX is going to trend in the direction of easier, even if it's worse from like a security perspective or worse from a decentralization perspective or worse from like any other perspective. Like the people in general, and I'm saying this very broadly, are lazy and like convenience. And this doesn't apply just to crypto. This applies to literally everything in every industry and like every product and every design space. And so I think the end state for wallets you know, unless there's like intermediate solutions is like just trending towards simpler and easier and like custom and like wallets integrated for specific applications or specific use cases or, you know, whatever, like, and, you know, you, we talked about this, I think on the last show a little bit with Unibot, you know, where it's like, that's a horrible architecture, you know, and it's winning in a sense because it's like, so, so broken. I think this trend is going to continue. And I think we're going to have like more developers who are like, oh, I'll just like build a wallet experience. It's my product. Like, yeah, I think we're seeing more and more of this progressive security and progressive UX, which is okay. When you first start, we're going to let you kind of be foot gun mode and, and basically like, we'll, we'll take your, we'll take your Google OAuth and then we'll just put your private key into like a file in your Google drive. And we kind of won't tell you about it. We won't tell you that's exactly what we're doing, but that's what we're doing. Um, and then it's like, okay, now we'll like add to it a pin code. Uh, if you have a little bit more money and it's like really worth securing that much money. And if it's worth more money than that, then we'll be like, Hey, now you have to start doing social recovery. You have to like connect with friends and, and they have to help you recover. And if you go in that, then we start getting to, okay, you know, get a fucking ledger or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, you, you start, you start getting more and more demanding, of the amount of security you demand from your customer if the amount of capital they have at risk increases. Um, I suspect that's what these mobile UXs and these sort of casual crypto UXs are going to start uh, trending towards. And they will probably be, my guess would be one or two vendors who basically kind of manage this process for you. And you can sort of twiddle like, hey, when someone has less than 500 bucks, it's fine, you can just store it you know, on the device or you can store it in their uh, OAuth you know, or in, in their Google drive, if they don't have, uh, you know, on-device uh, key management. Uh, but as the numbers get bigger and bigger, you start demanding more and more from your users. That's what I would assume happens. Uh, well, but it's still pretty early for that. I think that's a very cogent approach. I mean, we are early stage investors. So if you are working on something like that, uh, holler, please. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I, I just think it's going to be interesting because like DeFi was, is so about composability as the first class primitive in some ways of like, and it's such that the UX was always like for the average user, the, the non sort of technical and in the weeds user. But I, it really does feel like maybe not NFTs, but like things that are a little more consumery than NFTs are, might just trend in this, like they have their own app inter interface. Cause I, it actually was, the app had a bunch of problems bug wise, like, cause I didn't think they expected that many users on day one or, or something, but honestly it was a very interesting, like, like I, I actually felt like I could tell someone who hates crypto that they could, you know, use this versus like, you know, I tell, I, I, I tell someone, you know, actually I, 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 I kind of, there's this nice experiment you can do to see how, how annoying crypto is to your non crypto friends, which is, you give them two wallets 
on two different chains, maybe one in a Cosmos zone, one in an ETH on ETH or an L2. And you say, hey, go buy an NFT in the other place. So you have to figure out how to, to route across whether you have enough gas <laughs> tokens. It's Cosmos. That's hard. Tarun, this might be why you didn't have any friends to connect with on the app. <laughs> That's what you're doing to people. <laughs> I'm just saying this is like a way of like of like seeing how, how bad the UX is versus like this I could actually give to ostensibly anyone I know who's not in crypto. Which is like, I see. Maybe we, maybe it, it will be. I'm just making this speculation that like maybe we're going to see this like app specific, like vertically integrated mobile thing, right? Like in some ways, people thought Uniswap Wallet or things like that would look like something in that direction. But I think trading in DeFi just doesn't really need to be completely verticalized like that. But social and gaming things seem, it seems like way more important to their success. Totally agreed. Evgeny, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I am. Um very skeptical of like mass adoption using the existing wallet infrastructure and like been skeptical for, for a long, long time. I think at this stage, probably Coinbase wallet has the best chance of actually capturing a lot of this DeFi activity. Um, when it comes to games, yeah, it has to be something as much removed from the user, like even understanding this blockchain inside of it as possible. Like not even, well, Forget private keys, it has to be like email password kind of thing with something in the background. And then like obviously users facing that always like a risk that somebody will hack into the company that stores all the stuff. And I, I don't think we'll be able to get anything better. Like I, I really think it's a pipe dream that we'll get all people using crypto in 10, 20 years to be like self-custody and stuff. I don't think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, my favorite very out there form of how do you get people to not have to know they have a private key is, you know, WorldCoin, you know, ignore the token, but the actual orb is an attested sensor, right? Like it takes some physical image, generates the low dimensional representation, and then that thing has a ZKP of it. If the proof itself could be your generate your public-private key pair, then you could basically do everything purely from a tested sensor. Like I talk into a microphone and with enough samples and plus maybe take an eye scan, I generate... Oh, biometrics. Key. There's no way biometrics are secure enough to be using them as key material. Well, like multiple, you can, multi, multi, it can multi be part form. of NPC. Part, it can be part... My point is like the, the, there's things sure. where it's like it's it's not just... And you, know, you, you already see that with the centralized providers who do NPC, who make you... Do some biometrics, but I, I actually think we'll get to a point where you can generate, you can deal with the the key pair directly, where you can do something such that, hey, with only my Retina, I can move a hundred dollars at most, but with Retina plus X Y Z, I can now do mm. more, right? Like, like, and, and we're, I think you're going to have this like per- graded permissioning thing. Like, it, it right. seems like that's the best use case, and. Like I said, to WorldCoin's credit, ignore the token stuff, but the actual sensor, that, 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 there is a lot of value in, in figuring out how to do I don't know, Matt. Generative AI is getting so good. It seems very difficult to be confident that I couldn't replicate your eyeballs or like your irises, your voice, and your facial features for, for, for $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars. I agree. It's a terrible With unlimited story. tries. With unlimited tries. Yeah, it's terrible. Did, did you see um, Westworld season three? I think it was where this is not a spoiler. 
and if you're watching and you're really afraid of spoiler, just stop watching. Um, <laughs> the evil robot steals the billionaire's money by just taking his thumb and putting it on the iPad. And it's like, transaction completed. All your money has been transferred to the evil robots. And I was like, the whole time I watched that, I was like, oh, what a crazy scenario in which like a thumbprint is like the private key to like a billionaire's entire stack of future crypto money. For sure. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that like it's biometrics alone by any means. I'm just more pointing out that the generating of the cryptographic material from the biometrics is actually different than what we have right now, right? Where it's biometrics run that a centralized authority stores, say like Fireblocks or Anchorage or something, uh, or Coinbase for Coinbase custody. And then they just validate that. And when once that's valid, then they, you know, use keys that they have. This is actually generating like ephemeral public private key pairs for your app as a function of your so it's like well, the, so, the end of the random number or whatever and like, yeah exactly 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 like, okay, like there, okay, there are okay. ways of doing that in such that the user won't even know there's a public credit key pair at all sure sure but then really it's coming down to a trusted third party that has the actual key that no, is no, verifying no, no. your biometrics the, the, the idea is the proof the 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 whether it's it, it might need fhe so like more strong cryptography so that part is not clear but the idea is that the proof generated serves as your as your ephemeral key. You don't you don't need the third party like you do now with say like a centralized custodian. Okay, I guess my my thought on this, and we we have there's one more story I want to get to, but like my thought on this is fundamentally, I don't think biometrics in the long run alone will ever be secure because they're not secret. Like you don't go around hiding your irises from people or never speaking in public or never showing people what you look like. So face ID. Even no matter how many things you, you you combine it with, whether it's iris scans and face ID and voice checks and all these things, they work right now because you know I don't even know why they work right now to be honest. Because all this tech is basically out there. Um, like years ago, we had the tech to be able to basically do um, you know one one of the common ways. I used to work in anti fraud at Airbnb before I got into crypto, and one of the one of the things that was at that time, like 2015, just starting to be state of the art, was being able to take like a, a photo of somebody from a passport and generate. 3D video that would pass liveliness detection, right? So oftentimes you, when you're doing KYC, they want to prove you're the person in the passport. They'll say like, hold your right arm up, move it to the center, then move it over here, whatever. This is called liveliness detection. Try to prove that you didn't just, you know, create a static image of this person in this in this passport or this driver's license. Um, that is trivial now. Like children can, do, can basically generate, um, you know, these uh, real-time uh, streaming videos that mask you as being somebody else. Uh, and so all the stuff like the, the tech to defeat all of this is all already here. So I, 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 I suspect that we are eventually going to have to fall back to just like old fashioned hardware security or some kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of chain of trust type thing. I don't know. Or you just get a wallet with every single app and it's zero security. And when you get paranoid, you go to higher security. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. biometrics for small dollar like that that's for small dollar you, you have yeah, to have yeah, yeah. some you're gonna have some like system that like automatically figures out what is allowed and permission based on the type of interaction right right now that's so clunky that's actually where mm -hmm. i think these apps specific like the verticalized thing of like my dap has its own wallet just for this dap gets gets it right right because they like they they basically hide a lot of that from you they don't like you don't have to like sign half the time stuff like that right so 
So the fictional company that we're all investing in that does this for all the apps of the future, uh, yeah. which a founder who's listening right now is going to create and let us know about. <laughs> Biometrics can be level two. Level one is like, yeah. you know, it just is the wallet. Level, you don't even know it's there. Level two is like, you know, oh, it's a photo of your face. Is like this, you know, security. Yeah, I can, I... I think as a, as part of that ladder of security, I think like biometrics do fit in there as like, okay, you know, your, your, the, your mom isn't going to be able to, you know, to take your, you know, replicate your face ID um, or some random person who steals your phone, you know, if, if you just get mugged in the street. But um, as you're talking about targeted attacks, which more and more of what's happening in crypto is really defending against targeted attacks, not man on the street, not, oh, I lost my phone, you know, on the subway and then someone stole my money increasingly I think this stuff is getting automated. It's at scale. It's, it's, it's entirely software based and remote. And that increasingly has to be what your trust model is. I think when you're thinking about security. Okay. I here's a question for you, maybe more of a bet in one year and five years, how much do you think bank fraud rates go up because of like, say the last year of AI? Advances? <laughs> like, uh, you, you first. <laughs> Wait, well, what are bank fraud rates right now? I don't even know. I need a Let's just say I'm just asking for relative to now. Relative. Relative. Okay, relative. Like a percentage increase. Okay. Percentage uh, increase. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like my banking experience of the last year decreased so dramatically. Like it's just so horrible. Like you get you can get like blacklisted, you get all kinds of questions, verifications all the time. And I don't know. Probably it will be worse. But can it get even any more worse than it is now? I don't know. Like, it seems like it's already pretty bad on the fraud side. I'll say 0.7. I think it gets a little better. I think it goes down. Mm-hmm. You think uh, bank fraud goes down? What What is your thesis for why bank fraud goes down? I think bank fraud goes down because banks are just becoming IT companies and it's becoming a larger part of their mission in general. And I think the tools that they have are improving. Hmm. So I so I, I thought about this a lot back when I was at Airbnb and anti fraud. I was very very bearish on the ability of tech companies to continue fighting fraud because the tools that we fundamentally have, like okay, if you're a tech company and you're not sure if somebody's account has been stolen or if they're being impersonated or whatever, basically the tools that you have are one, you can email them and see like do you actually control your email, right? Which increasingly, if somebody somebody's owning you, they also have your email. Um, you might do a small charge to their credit card. You might get them to scan their driver's license or their passport. And then the best, you might get somebody to call them uh, and like have them in video verify that ah, I'm this person, here's the driver's license, whatever. That's what you got. Those are the options, okay? Now, which of those options do you think is going to survive like the, the, the coming increasingly, the increasing automation with which people are going to scrape all your data from all the data dumps that exist of, of basically everything about you that you've ever put online. Second, running this through some kind of AI agent that develops a game plan of how to impersonate you. Oh. Third, developing the video, developing the audio, synthesizing a fake uh, passport or driver's license and, and doing all of the, like the only thing they really need is your email. Right, but this is why non-specialists will get crushed. Random tech companies are gonna get crushed by this. Right. I think yeah. banks are best equipped to be the ones. I don't know how well banks are equipped to do. I, I think they just don't have the affordances. I think even in India in they do. I think there are certain places where they've yeah. installed in India's, the infrastructure. India is a different. India is like, ironically, yeah. like in the way that people in the U.S. used to be like, wow, all the cell phones in Japan and Korea are like 100 times better. India's financial infrastructure is unreal. Like the government open sourcing all of the 
like basically making their own blockchain and having key management standards and like all of the stuff that's interoperable that every fintech uses. That is obviously like 10 years in the future for all the Western countries because they're basically digital fiefdoms that like don't have that much incentive to change. But I would argue that I think I think you you'll see a significant increase, maybe like 20 to 50 percent um, relative to where it is now, because I basically think all the generative AI stuff just made the barrier to entry to fraud lower. Right. Like way so lower. much lower, so much lower, so much lower that like I how could it not like there's clearly going to be some po- bank in podunk middle of nowhere who's outsourced the KYC to some company that like barely exists or got bought by a private equity firm and doesn't update any of their liveness checks and can be now a 15 year old can like, um, you know, kind of take advantage. There's a really good article in Bloomberg about a a SIM swap recently, a quite sophisticated SIM swap. Um, And I I think the gender of AI stuff is only going to make that go up. I think the reason SIM swapping is also getting easier is partially some of these types of voice transmutation stuff. Yeah, it's scary time. Uh, I hope that crypto at least plays some part in protecting us from. Well, I think this hopefully is the reason people will be like, "Oh, actually, that cryptocurrency stuff—they thought about this shit before we did." It's a good thing. It's a good thing we're here. It's a good thing we're here to save the world. Um, Well, okay, we have to we have to end the show because we're up on time and we got to run. But uh, thanks so much, Evgeny, for coming on and sharing your insights with us. And for now, signing off. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us.